from the big screen to the small screen and everything in between. This is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Screeners. This is Chad. I'm Chris. I'm Daniel. I'm Melody. And I'm Josh. And we're back again to talk all things media. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at ScreenersCast. You can send us an email for those of you who would like to talk to us. Our email is so very lonely. We want to hear from you. Send us an email at ScreenersCast at gmail.com or join in all the conversations that are going on on our Facebook page. Just look up Screeners Podcast. And as always, you can find us and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Let's jump into... Our very first jump cut. Jump cut. Jump cut. Cut, cut, cut. Jump cut. For this week's jump cut, we posted a question on our Facebook page at the Screeners Podcast, and we divided it up into three specific questions related to a trend that unfortunately doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon, and that is the Hollywood remake. So our first question was, what is your favorite remake and what is your least favorite remake i don't know what everybody's individual criteria was for this one but for me it had to be a remake of a a film of a film not necessarily a a different work like a play or a book but we don't really have any rules per se but i am interested to go through this do we even have any favorite remakes i know historically they haven't been very good so let's start with you daniel what is your favorite and least favorite remake of all time and we'll start with favorite all right favorite Uh, I really wanted to go with something like super original that nobody else was going to choose. But then I was looking at the lists of remakes and come across Ocean's Eleven, and that is just the obvious answer. That is an amazing movie, so entertaining, so much fun to watch. So, um, yeah, that's definitely my favorite remake. Uh, True Grit came close, but but Ocean's Eleven took took the bait and then um least favorite i have to say the thing the the new version the 2012 version or no whatever year that was which was actually a remake of a remake but obviously the 80s version the 82 version is the most popular so yeah the the newer version just didn't add anything it was just i felt like i was watching the original just not as fun not as scary not as interesting it was just it felt like the same movie just with everything good taken out of it so it was just really strange so um, i even forgot it existed until i sort of scrolled through the list that is my least favorite and a quick aside that uh breaking news as of today thursday the 29th they are actually remaking oceans 11 again what yep i I saw it shut up i I saw this a couple minutes ago i swear and it turns out they're going with a female spin led by sandra bullock Directed by Gary oh. Ross, who did Hunger Games. What? This is getting what is worse. Happening? Everything you say, it's getting worse. Why? Don't blame me. Don't blame me. I but, blame uh, you, Daniel. I blame you. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> so I, I think uh, I, you know, Gary Ross is a good director. He hasn't directed a like actually straight up bad movie. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm, that's it's true. Intriguing. The remake of Ocean's Eleven is perfect why don't don't mess with it but i agree what are you gonna do i also agree with you about the thing the new thing is it's interesting because there's the technology has advanced so much and it's not even as gory or gross or disturbing as the one in the 80s with all the practical effects so that's a good pick all right melody what about you Uh, do you have a favorite and and or least favorite remake Yes, I have some selections. I feel like it's hard to just pick one in either of these categories. But uh, for favorite remake, and I had the same rules as you, Chad, that it had to be 
like a movie of a movie, not a book or whatever. My favorite remake, I'm just going to put one out there for the the women listeners, the chick flick watchers. Uh, my favorite remake is Sabrina, uh, Harrison Ford. The Teenage uh, Witch? Greg Kinnear. No, Sabrina. <laughs> it's, an, it's a really, really great movie, okay? And it's not, I mean, okay, it's like a romance, but uh, it's a remake of like uh, – one in the 50s um, with, like, Humphrey Bogart, right. I think, and yeah. Audrey Hepburn. I super, super, super love love the remake of that. So that, that that's the one that first came to mind. And then I was looking through some other lists, and I remembered that The Ring is a remake of a Japanese film. And I think The Ring was a really awesome movie for what it was. I mean, I don't like it or anything, but for what it was. <laughs> for what film. it was, but I hate it. But other than right. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love it, but I hate it. And True Grit was was the other one that made that list. And then Worst Remake, that's hard because there are so many bad ones. But as I was looking through the lists that I found, The Karate Kid jumped out at me as as one of the most disappointing remakes ever. What? Um, What? The Karate Kid with Jackie Chan and Jaden Smith? Yes, it was great. I loved it. It was pretty good. It was good. It was decent. It was solid. I'm not kidding. It was. Yeah, it was. It has no reason to be decent, but it, it, it turned out to be decent. You're right, Daniel. Stand strong. Well, it's the only time you've ever said that to Daniel. That's true. I know, really. I, he's usually attacking me for that. That's true. Everything. Well, but this well, time you're right, so it's okay. Whatever. I don't think so. Those right. are my answers. The Karate Kid. All right, that's interesting. That's interesting. Chris, what about you? Do you have a favorite and a least favorite? I do. Um, I kind of had a tied for best for me, and actually I have the movie posters hanging in my office, so I'm going to mention both of them. My favorite remakes would be Casino Royale, mm-hmm. uh, which was absolutely fantastic. I love great the Bond movie. series. Yeah, and the remake was really great. Daniel Craig brought new energy and life into that role uh, that had been sorely missing from Pierce Brosnan, especially in his later films. So I loved Casino Royale. And then, of course, I have to mention Star Trek 2009. J.J. Abrams' uh, remake was spectacular and great. It was new without completely dissing the old fans. And it somehow was able to walk that tightrope of the geekdom oftentimes set up and says, you have to respect me, but you have to do something really cool too. So I think Star Trek did a great job of walking that tightrope and doing something new and different and uh, fun. Uh, I and bet then, Josh totally agrees with that as well. Yeah, probably. He probably <laughs> totally agrees. Okay, and then, uh, you know, I was looking through things as far as like the worst movie remakes, and I feel like it's so funny because, again, it just falls into that line, but I feel like for me, probably the one of the worst would be Psycho, uh, the Gus Van Sant remake. That one was not very good. Uh, I think it was just trying to be too loud. Well, it, it, it it was just too loyal to the source material. There was nothing new there, and... And the performances, unfortunately, were not very good for the the talent and caliber of cast that that Gus Van Sant had access to. So for me, I would definitely say Psycho was one of the more disappointing and just almost seemingly pointless uh, remakes of the last uh, several years. That is a that's I, if my memory serves, that was a shot for shot remake, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Which totally. sounded sounded really interesting until you watched it, and then you yeah. realized this well, is not a good idea. Van Sant defended that uh, defended the remake at one point. Somebody asked him why did he make it and why did you do a shot for shot remake instead of a more traditional remake, and he said, "I did it so that no one else would have to do it." 
which I, doesn't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> wow. that sounds sounds yeah. like an artist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, it does. Yeah, exactly. That sounds like he had... He had Very a, selfless of him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. All it right. was me or no one. That's it. Well, the, your two uh, favorite picks, Chris, are two movies that I actually really love, both of those movies. That's, those are good picks. All right, Josh, what about you? I would go with um, the standard answer, Ocean's Eleven, which we've seen a lot um, on our Facebook page and which Daniel mentioned. And that probably is the best realization of a Hollywood remake. But I've been scrolling through lists, and at the time, I've probably gotten much more cynical since I saw this movie and would hate it now. But at the time, I enjoyed Gone in 60 Seconds. And (laughs) that was, you know, that was good for what what it was. I know. Josh. I was in high school. What do you want? All right. <laughs> it's a sucker for um, Cage. Angelina Jolie. That's 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 what happened there, Josh. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Angelina yeah. Jolie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyways, also what, on these lists, right there, that was... I don't know what everyone's <laughs> criteria. So many things happened, and you just they just pass you by. Um, <laughs> I don't know what Wikipedia's criteria for remakes is, but they list Robin Hood Men in Tights as a remake. What? of the original Robin Hood, which I think is ridiculous, parody. but if they're listing it... <laughs> that's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, that's stupid. Yeah. Speaking of things that aren't really remakes, though, if we're moving on to my least favorite remake, and we can count Star Trek as Chris's favorite remake, we can just as easily count it as my least favorite remake. <laughs> oh my gosh! That that's awful. Terrible. Terrible. Disagree. That's so funny, Josh. Sorry, let me get my accent on. It was terrible. 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 I don't even understand... I don't understand where that comes from. Yeah, I don't either. It, it comes from Chris Pine and his anti-acting school. Mm. I think he's very charismatic, but okay, that's fine. No worries. Agree to disagree. As we have our entire lives. <laughs> and somehow <laughs> you, Chris? live harmoniously. I all love right. you, Josh. Lots of love, lots of love. Well, that's not surprising at all. Josh uh, hating something that Chris loves, but uh, for me... This was, Ocean's Eleven was obviously at the top because, as I mentioned in our last show, that's probably the movie I've watched more than any movie ever. So I loved Ocean's Eleven. The Ring was also on my list specifically because I think that's one of the best horror movies ever made. I love that movie. I, I remember specifically, I saw that with a couple of friends. And for those of you that haven't seen it, the device is essentially you watch this VHS tape and then within seven days, you die unless you get someone else to watch the tape. And so we uh, <laughs> we were all pretty terrified at the movie. We were all living alone, you know, individually in different apartments. And we started calling each other and hanging up going, seven days. It was totally, <laughs> you know, we, we changed the screensaver at our uh, one of our friend's offices at work so that when he booted up his computer, it looked like the girl from The Ring and that little video. It was, so it was, we, we had a lot of fun with that movie. I think it's really well done. And then my least favorite, although let me also say this too, an honorable mention for me for favorite was probably Let Me In. I don't know if you guys saw the original uh, Let the Right One In, the vampire movie. I'm going to take that as a no. It's a phenomenal movie. It's a great, great film. Uh, and then it was remade by Matt Reeves in 2010, the English version. And at the time, it was met with a lot of disdain because the original was such a solid entry. And this actually turned out to be pretty good. It was it kept that same mood and was just just really, really solid unexpectedly. Now, my least favorite is I'm a big Korean action film buff, and Old Boy is uh, one of the movies that is 
a classic for sure. And they somebody thought it was a great idea for Spike Lee to remake this thing. I don't know if any of you guys did you see the remake of Old Boy? Anybody? No. It was okay. It's horrible in so many different ways, but it's beautifully shot. It's weird. It's like it's like somebody gave a toddler an unlimited budget to go make a movie. It's just it's just just horrible horrible stuff. And then the other one and this is my Halloween edition because we're almost at Halloween is the remake of The Nightmare on Elm Street. The original is a classic horror film, put Wes Craven on the map, made Freddy Krueger a cultural icon, and um they thought it would be a good idea to remake this movie as well but take out everything that made it interesting and just make it a very hardcore slasher just really dark film and that movie was was it was really really hard to watch so for me that's that's the least favorite remake now we also had a lot of uh, a lot of our fans on our facebook page comment with some of their favorites and least favorites uh, melody did you have anybody mention anything on your page yes i did jeremy mentioned the birdcage as his favorite remake and least favorite remake was king kong so both good good picks in my opinion yep yep oh no you guys don't like the peter jackson's king kong it was an hour uh, too long. Well, seriously. I agree. It was extremely long, but it was still gross. Yeah, it wasn't a bad movie. It was just an hour too long. Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. That so was his comment. Those his favorites, right? Do what? Oh. No, that was his least favorite. Yes. Birdcage oh, was his favorite. Okay. King Kong was his least favorite. But he did put in parentheses too long. So right. gotcha. well, there you whatever. go. Birdcage, Birdcage <laughs> is really funny. That's a really it that's, is. That's a good it's very funny. And then I also had Nathan comment, uh, his favorite sort of remake is Heat. I guess that means it's a sort of a remake. I don't know. I don't know what it's a remake of. But anyways, that's his favorite. And the RoboCop remake was disappointing. Definitely agree with that one, Nathan. Hmm. I actually kind of like the RoboCop remake somewhat. I thought it was interesting. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I really I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't have any on my personal page, but on the screeners page, um, Rachel answered our questions, and her favorites were Les Mis and The Parent Trap, and I wanted to take that because I also really enjoyed the Les Mis remake, although I also liked the 70s version, so I don't know, I don't know which one I like more. Um, her least favorite was Annie, which I haven't seen either of them, so more power to you. Annie was terrible. <laughs> yes, Annie is. The remake of Annie is awful. awful. That was on my list too, yeah. Good call. Yeah, but I don't know about Les Mis from 212. I don't know, 2012. What? I don't know. It was good except for Russell Crowe. Yeah, yeah. With marbles in his mouth. That, it is a big accept. That's a fantastic movie, y'all. Mm-hmm. Hey, I cried. I cried. Okay? I cried. <laughs> Have you seen the stage show, Daniel? Yes, uh, in London, and I fell asleep. Hey, guys, so I'm also looking at our Facebook page and realizing that Diane doesn't think that she's liked any remake ever made. Wow. And the worst one is Psycho. So I, she agreed with me. I, didn't, I hadn't read that until right now. So good. All right, Diane, at least you know what the worst of the worst is. I'm not sure there hasn't been any good remakes, but, you know, uh, yeah, more power to you. And she says... Oh, well, that's another question. We'll get to yeah. that in a little bit. I am sure, Diane, that there are remakes that are good. So I'll just go Absolutely. ahead on record and say that for sure. That's right. And we've recommended a few of them. So maybe go watch some of the ones that we've recommended and, and see if they're uh, up your alley. 
Yeah, and Jeremy also chimed in. He said that his favorite was Ocean's Eleven, so you are correct, sir. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, <laughs> his, least, his least favorite was The Longest Yard, which, you know, it's an Adam Sandler movie. I can't fault him too much. But as far as Adam Sandler movies go, it's right. not that bad. That's so. true. Like, if you're ranking Adam Sandler movies, that's not the <laughs> yeah. worst one. It's not the worst one. So, you know, whatever. So, I can't but fault was him. Was it originally that much of a ridiculous comedy? I mean, wasn't it more... It was a little more serious, for sure. Yeah, not that I saw the original one, but it might be the what they did with the legacy if that movie ever had one, which it didn't. But <laughs> <That's> nice. <true. laughs> and we had a we had an interesting conversation between Rob and Jeff. Uh, Rob mentioned his favorite was True Grit, which I think Melody mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned the worst was Clash of the Titans, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. Clash, the remake of Clash of the Titans really should not exist it is so so poorly done and then jeff who i think all of us on this podcast know jeff jeff actually uh has a phd in film studies if i'm not mistaken and so uh, he's right so he yeah so he (laughs) he brings credentials to the table he said he enjoyed oceans 11 and true grid as well and the star trek reboot chris so there you go yes the phd sides with you so josh sorry maybe he meant the second one maybe he typed he didn't type enough (laughs) all right so let's move on to our next question real quick let's hammer through this what do you guys if there's anything and i'll be honest with you i had a hard time with this with this specific question is there even a movie that we think would benefit from a remake daniel what do you think what do you think yeah i struggled with this too chad i I, it's such a broad question i mean I generally don't. There are good remakes, sure, but there aren't. If if I enjoy a movie, if it's going to come to my mind, I don't want it to be remade. So right. it was tough. It was tough to think of an answer. So I sort of cheated. Um, I'm taking an answer for a movie that's already been announced, but it hasn't been produced yet. So so only a half cheat. So um, <laughs> no, no, surprisingly, no. Uh, uh, the Gone Girl team of David Fincher, Gillian Flynn, and Ben Affleck are supposedly remaking. Uh, Hitchcock's Stranger on a Train. Strangers on a Train. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. That could be good. So, yeah, it sounds uh. super interesting to me. Uh, I don't know if it'll ever happen because Ben Affleck is really busy being Batman now, but uh, at, at least I hope I hope David Fincher stays on board because I could totally see that being really, really good. What is it going to be? Strangers on a Plane? Is that what the remake is going to be? With I snakes. sure hope not. Why haven't they hired you already, Chris? Hollywood, listen <laughs> Look, to this man. These are He's free ideas. gold right here for you. Melly, how about you? Do you have a, an idea for something that should be remade? I mean, I really had a tough time coming up with something for this because if you love, like Daniel said, if you love it enough to want it to be remade, you love it enough for them to for, to not want them to destroy it. So uh, the things that came to my mind were like some of the classic musicals that I love that would be fun to be remade because I, I love the new musicals that are coming out. Um, aside from Annie, of course, that was a debacle. But, you know, some of the old classics like Oklahoma or... I don't know. I want to say Singing in the Rain, but I feel like that goes to the next question. Because if they killed Singing in the Rain, it would be horrifying. So, I don't know. Some of those classic musicals, maybe, if they did really good, maybe. Okay. Carrie Underwood did Oklahoma Live a few years ago. No, that so was, was like, Sound of Music Live, and music, it was the worst yeah. thing ever. It was awful. Yep. Yeah, and so that's why it's like, I don't really want to say that I want to see them destroy any of my 
things oh, that I love. It was, and NBC reintroduced the classics to an entirely new generation, and it was wonderful, and everyone watched it, and everyone was happy. No, they weren't. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, Josh is right. It was a massive success. It actually was, with huge numbers. I don't really? know that everyone loved it, but it was a huge success. Depends sure. on your definition of success. Right. Yeah. All right, Chris, what about you? Anything that needs a remake? Uh, a ton. In fact, this is the question that I and this is I had more answers to this than any of the others. Is that because you love so many horrible movies? Well, no, it's because I feel like <laughs> there's a lot of movies that come out that I'm disappointed in that I love the idea of that I wish to see made better. Um, and that's where I took it. A movie like Stargate, Blade, I'd love to see remade. Newsies, I'd love to see a brand mm. new version of Newsies. Okay. And, and Spawn, uh, that movie was not at all... Uh, loyal to the original comic, but I'd love to see an actual loyal Spawn movie or even a TV series would be fantastic. But my number one pick for a movie that should be remade, it's a book that I absolutely adore and they made a fairly competent movie of it um, several years back. But that is a book called Sphere. Are you guys familiar with Sphere? Oh, yeah. Michael Crichton's yeah. Sphere? Yes. That book is wonderful in every every way, shape, and form. And the movie, it kind was of... okay. Yeah, it was good. But I could see that, that being made into something really great. A wonderful techno thriller with a little bit of um, extraterrestrial flair. I really feel like you could do a good job with a Sphere remake. And I'd love to see that happen. Okay, great. That's a, that's a good pick there. What about you, Josh? I'm going to take an answer from our Facebook page and say Spider-Man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. That, yes. Thank you for that, Rob. Where's that I, sarcasm? Uh, I keep forgetting emoji. how he becomes Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. I, I, One more time. Yeah. No, seriously, though, um, I don't, I, Chris touched on this, but I think as opposed to what Melody and Daniel said about if you like a movie enough to want to see it remade, I think the other way around. I think if you like source material enough and they made a terrible movie, yeah. they should remake it. Totally. And that's why it, it's good that I've gone before Chad on this You're one because steal we it, might Josh. be on the same page. You're I'm doing it. it. You already know I'm what my answer it. is. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Go ahead. Because it's my only answer, Chad. Take it. It's, it's, my the, only it's answer. the only answer. It so is a good answer. Go ahead. Go for it. And that is, I'm sure everyone knows by now, Aragon. Yes. Because <laughs> that could be... Such a good movie. I'm convinced it yeah, could be a good movie. It could be. It was a terrible movie, and everyone should watch it just because it was so bad. No, don't. No, do it. it. Don't do watch it. it. It's great. It's great. You know, if you revisit it, it's not as bad as you think. It's yes, kind of it like is. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You know what I mean? You look <laughs> back, <laughs> and you watch it again, you realize... Daniel, you don't have to put up with this. Yes, you do. Yes, you do for that. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great pick, Josh, and 100% accurate. That was obviously at the top of my list. I'll tell you another one that I had on there that I think could stand a a remake is The Last Airbender. I think that was the source material for that is, is wonderful. Shyamalan, I don't know what happened there. But Shyam- I didn't. But I didn't Shyamalan like it. Shyamalan happened. You said it. Yeah. Well, there yeah. you go. Uh, but one that I think I don't know that a lot of people think about. I actually somewhat enjoyed this movie, but I think the kernel of the series that it could turn into is is really interesting if done in the right way. And that's the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. 
I don't know if you guys have ever. You remember that one with Sean Connery? Did you, any of you guys see that movie? Yeah. I worked in a theater yes. when it was out, yeah. right, so I saw so, at least thirty seconds of it. Yeah, the movie is pretty bad, but the idea of those specific characters working together—if that, like, if Marvel did that movie—can you imagine how great that would be? So, even though it's not a Marvel property, so shut up and don't start sending me stuff. But it could be. It could be great. It could be great. So that was my pick, and I think we also had some interesting listener feedback on this question as well. Yeah, Jeff posted that uh, a pretty good answer that he wanted the Searchers remade and maybe in a Coen Brothers style, except he misspelled Coen Brothers, spelled it with an H, so I think he means Eaton Coen, the guy who did Garfield. Uh, <laughs> That'd be awesome. Does so, he have a brother? Perfect. <laughs> I don't know if he has a brother. He could, but uh, otherwise, that's So, right, PhD, that's please. <laughs> We love, love you, Jeff. You. Love you, Jeff. It's all good. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah, Nathan commented his pick for the remake would be a live action Incredibles, which is an interesting thought. I'd mm. have to think about that, but that could be cool. And then Jeremy uh, mentioned the mask because he thought that the, that the 3D technology could be used well, which is interesting as well. That would be cool as long as it was still Jim Carrey because, I mean, that's classic him. So There is only one. Indeed. I don't know that I'd want to remake as much as maybe another sequel if Jim Carrey were in it, but then I don't really know that I really want that, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And then Jeremy on our screeners page had two picks, The Music Man and or 12 Angry Men. And I just Ah. wanted to mention that 12 Angry Men actually has been remade. I'm not sure whether you were, were, were referring to the more recent one that you wanted remade or the old one. But either way, I think you should go watch the other one and see if you like that one better. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yes, The Music Man is a great pick. That's what I was trying to think of, like some of the old classic musicals. The Music Man could be really, really good. Yeah. Good call. Good call. All right. So let's jump to our third question and let's ask the question, what movie would you absolutely never want to see remade? Now, obviously, there are some specific kind of untouchable classic films, but you never put anything past Hollywood. If they think they can make money off of it, they'll do it. So what do you guys think, Daniel? What would you just absolutely never want to see remade? Again, I have a pretty traditional answer, but it's a, it's a solid one. Die Hard. Just leave it alone. They've, they've already... Haven't you know, they remade the that like five times? Oh, my gosh. Some of the sequels <laughs> were okay. A Good Day to Die Hard was just garbage. And now they're talking about... It was announced this week that they want to... Uh, make a prequel to Die Hard. It, I don't. It, it's just, just stop, just stop, and don't remake it. Just let it, l- leave it alone, please. All right, Melody. There are some great ones that could be great if they were remade really, really, really well, but there probably won't be. So, uh, all of those great ones that are in all the lists, probably I agree with. But one that came to my mind was When Harry Met Sally, because I feel like the ones that I definitely don't want to be remade are the ones where like. The actor was so much a part of the film and so much part of the story and so much a part of the character that, like, no other actor could re-portray that character. And so that's when it came to mind is, uh, shush, the females need some representation. So there you go. When Harry met Sally, you're welcome. Okay. No said anything, Melody. Yeah, we I love you. I heard, yeah. I heard huffing. I love When Harry Met Sally. That's, that's a great stop, huff, stop breathing, yeah. Chris. I, no, I... <laughs> Nobody. That's for wish come true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, what about you? What should never be remade? Right, you know, I mean, if, I immediately went to those classics that just shouldn't be touched. Uh, things like Star Wars, uh, that you cannot remake that movie. If you do, you're silly and uh, on a fool's errand. Uh, another movie, Terminator 2. 
Mm-hmm. It's just you, you can't you can't. There's some things that are just lightning in a bottle, and if any one thing was changed, it would not be the same film. Um, and so, or you just be you know making a copy of a copy of. You know, it just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. So, those those kinds of films, I just don't think you need to to go back to or try and touch. And things like Jaws. You know, you if you, if you tried to do Jaws now, the only reason why you would not be showing the shark is because it wasn't shown in the original. Uh, if you're trying to actually be true to the the, the 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 script itself, you'd be showing the shark all the time because that was the intention of the film. And so, you can't recreate the happy accidents that happen along the way that create some of these cult classics. Um, that really have stood the test of time. Yep. What about you? Deep Blue Sea a remake of Jaws? I I don't. <laughs> no. No. Oh, but no, no. so Chris, you mentioned Terminator Two specifically, and then you yeah. just said Star Wars. You mean A New Hope? Yes, which, which was originally titled Star Wars. Yes. Okay. Josh, what do you think? I, you know, you're supposed to, like Chris just said in his his superb monologue, you're supposed to not touch lightning in a bottle, and so I'm supposed to pick classics this and I just I don't care I just won't see the remakes I don't want to see I don't think so I'm just going to go ahead and pick some of my favorite movies and say you shouldn't remake them so you shouldn't remake Snatch and you shoun't remake Goodwill Hunting and there I have answered the question <laughs> wow my work you, here is done that you literally have, that ended really quick you have and, I, and, I, and I agree I was trying to regain the time Yep. Well, what I did was I actually, for this specific question, I tried to pick a film that I thought Hollywood, when looking at it, would potentially see a property that they could make some money if they did a remake. And so with that, I came up with two that I think, because the price of entry to remake these is probably a little bit lower, but the, the brand value would be enticing to a studio. One of those is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I love that movie. Oh. It's a comedy. Comedies are typically cheaper to make. Uh, they could probably make it for $25 bucks and hope to turn uh, a profit, but I think that it would be insane to do that. That's definitely an example of lightning in a bottle. Uh, and the other one is a film that I think a lot of people really, really love, but would be absolutely a slam dunk to try and remake, and that's Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. Uh, have you guys, do you guys like that movie at all? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. so not hard to remake, really funny. They could find a comedian that they would throw in there, and to me it would just be a really bad, bad idea. Because to be honest with you, if you go back and watch it again, it's not the best movie. So it's got kind of the the trappings of something to entice somebody to – Yeah, Steve I'm, I'm, I'm thinking right now, how could we remake uh, – No. <laughs> See, Chris, this, be... this is why. Stay away <laughs> oh, from the studio. Leave it alone. Worry. Leave it alone. Yeah, Bill Murray was awesome. There's no doubt. Yeah. No so doubt. anyway, so those those were my two that I thought you know probably could be remade, but shouldn't be remade. And with that, we'll move on to our main event. Welcome to the main event. So for the first part of our doubleheader, we're going to talk about Steve Jobs. What if the computer was a beautiful object, something you want to look at and have in your home? And what if? Instead of it being in the right hands, it was in everyone's hands. We'd be talking about the most tectonic shift in the status quo since ever. No one sees the world the same way you do. Everyone is waiting for the Mac. What are people going to do with it? It's an abstract. They're going to do that? You're issuing contradictory instructions. You're insubordinate. 
You make people miserable. The board believes you're no longer necessary to this company. I sat in a garage and invented the future. Because artists lead and hacks ask for a show of hands. Well, it's happening. The comeback of a superstar. Co-founder Stephen Jobs. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is returning to Apple. Two most significant events of the 20th century. The Allies win the war and this. Ladies and gentlemen. The IMDb description of the third in what I can only assume is a trilogy of movies about Steve Jobs says, <laughs> Steve Jobs takes us behind the scenes of the digital revolution to paint a portrait of the man at its epicenter. The story unfolds backstage at three iconic product launches, ending in 1998 with the unveiling of the iMac. It's directed by Danny Boyle, written, of course, by Aaron Sorkin, drawing from supposedly the Walter Isaacson biography. It has its detractors, of course, and it has its fans. And so I'm just going to jump right into it and say that I'm tired of movies about Steve Jobs. I'm just, I'm tired of them. This is number three in like two years, and I've had enough. But Aaron Sorkin has in some way achieved what I previously thought impossible, he made me, for a brief moment, genuinely curious to learn more about what actually happened in Steve Jobs' life. <laughs> and, and that's partially because we had watched the Gibney documentary beforehand for a previous episode. And this, of course, had its departures from that and painted certain things in a different light, left, painted certain things in a different light, left other things out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, I'm not actually, don't get me wrong, I'm not actually going to do any research but I'm, you know, I'm more curious now. <laughs> Since the Gibney movie felt like this half-baked hit job and some documentaries are like that, so whatever, I just let it go. The script for this movie, though, presented those gray areas in a way that was a lot more compelling, even though obviously some of the details were either fabricated or, or embellished. I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Aaron Sorkin is pornography for intellectuals. Like, we know his characters aren't realistic. We know this doesn't happen in real life. But the conversations they have are exactly how we fantasize ourselves sounding. Perfectly calibrated, layered, always a clever response without pausing to think at all. And we do it all while walking directly towards a camera. <laughs> yeah. And so overall, I guess I would say I liked it. I can't not like an Aaron Sorkin movie to some extent. So going to go with a tentative thumbs up and pass it on to Melody. What did you think? That is high praise, Josh. That is high praise. Uh, okay, well, I bring a, probably a unique perspective to the viewing of this film that probably none of you guys have and probably not many of our listeners have, and that is that I'm I'm not, like, super intimately familiar with the life and times of Steve Jobs. Like, oh, I was, Well, you saw the, the Gibney documentary, which is more than I can say. Oh, so okay. You, you, do, you do have more of a context than I do. And, like, I mean, obviously I know the basic plot points of his life and some things about his personality, but... Like, I can't watch a movie like this and know, oh, that's real, or they made that up, or whatever. Like, I don't have that context, right? And also, when I went to see this movie, I'd, I'd like only seen the trailer once, and I hadn't read anything about it. So, I, I didn't know, like, the construct of this film. 
which, as we said in the in the IMDb description, is is basically it takes place around those three launch events or whatever. I didn't know that going in, and I didn't have a lot of the backstory context going in. But despite all of that, I enjoyed the movie. I love Aaron Sorkin, kind of like what Josh said. Like I can't really not love an, an Aaron Sorkin movie. So for that, like for that reason, I enjoyed it. I am not sure I loved the construct that they used for the story. I felt like it was pretty limiting, and I'm not really sure why they made the choices tell the story that way, except maybe just to differentiate it, like from the other Steve Jobs movies that are out there, and probably to let Aaron Sorkin tell stories in the way that he tells them best, which is walking around a venue getting ready so i I enjoyed the movie i did think it was slow i did think that the average viewer without all of the context or without a great love for aaron sorkin might find it a little bit harder to follow but i still think it's wonderful i guess afterwards like i found out that there was more artistic liberties taken in this movie than i had maybe thought while i was watching because i didn't know like i don't have that context so to me, that feels a little bit disappointing. Like, it feels a little bit disappointing if I'm going to, like, invest in a movie like that. I I kind of want it to be the real deal. But I still loved it. And I thought the acting was absolutely amazing, pretty much across the board, except for maybe his daughter. Um, I didn't really buy into her character as much as I wanted to. But other than that, I'm sure there'll Neither be more for he. spoilers. <laughs> Indeed. Ouch. I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure there'll be more for spoilers, but uh, I-, I would agree with Josh with the-, the tentative thumbs up. All right. That is two tentative thumbs way almost up. Daniel, what did you think? We got two more thumbs up right here. Look, th- there's been so much talk about the factuality of the movie and whether the actual events line up with reality and, and whatever. But here's the deal. If you watch this film, you know it has nothing to do with presenting the facts of history in terms of like most biopics. This happened, then this happened, this, then this happened. That's not what the film is meant to be. It's blatantly a presentation of the characters and the quality of their being, their essence of who they were. And that's how you have to uh, approach the film. It's who they were, not what they did. And so when approaching Steve Jobs from that perspective, not looking for the details of their lives, every event that they ha- did... I think the film achieves it incredibly well. So I loved it. I loved it. Uh, the script, obviously, as everyone said, the script is incredible. It's so fast-paced as, as every Sorkin thing. I hope I hope he wins another Oscar. This, it's just so electric. It's it's gripping. It's undeniably compelling. I mean, you just you're drawn in because everybody's you know speaking perfectly and and just um, every character is just incredible. And and that's because it's extremely well acted. Every performance, even Seth Rogen, uh, he did he did all right. But you know, of course, Michael Fassbender is is the standout, obviously. And so, yeah, overall, I just really really love the film. I re- I highly recommend it. And um, yeah, there's not much more to say than that. Well, Michael Fassbender's good, of course. But what about Kate Winslet? While we're yes, talking about yes, standout you're taking, performances, you're taking my next point there. Yeah. So, Chris, you're up next. <laughs> yes. And that's what actually what I was going to say is that I think Kate Winslet for me is the one who should be up for a lot of the. She's almost uh, unrecognizable, even though you feel like you should know her. It's really strange. It's like, wow, who is this? Uh, you know, I think she did an amazing job. So for me. Uh, the movie as a whole, if I had one thing to describe it, would be artistic license. This movie distills the ideas, the characters, the experiences of real people and 
shoves them into three acts and does a really good job of doing so. But I feel like if you have no, if you know nothing about those characters in reality, you'd walk away from this film with a very warped sense of reality. And that's unfortunate because this may be the only place that people will see the story of Steve Jobs. And he comes across not the way that he really, it really was. Um, but at the same time, you know, they, they take the artistic license and do their best to to be true to this conceit uh, that they've committed themselves to. And that is these these three acts, these three product launches. And uh, the thing that I found interesting while I was reading about the film is that they actually used different ways of shooting for the three different time periods. So uh, in the 80s, they were using, what was it, 16 millimeter? Is that right, uh, Chad? It had millimeter at the end of it. 16 millimeter for the first part. First yes. film, and then the second part they did... 35. Really for, 35 and then the last bit they they shot digitally um so there's a there's a visual change every single time and i was actually quite enjoying because i knew that walking into the movie i was enjoying watching uh, that first piece with all of the flaws and uh the grain and the pops that would happen every once in a while they were very subtle but at the same time it was recognizable that this was an old style of shooting. Things were a little bit fuzzier than they normally are in current day film. And so it was it was really great to see the artistry of Aaron Sorkin and Danny Boyle come through. And I really think they did a great job. They sat down in a writer's room. They sat down in some of these um, creative times together and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something different. We're going to give people the feeling of what Steve Jobs' life was like. Uh, and that is true. And this movie is spectacular in that. It is a great film. There is no denying it is well written. It is well shot. Uh, it is well directed. It is All the performances are spectacular. I think Kate Winslet being at the top of that. I really enjoy the fact that Michael Fassbender is not doing an impersonation of Steve Jobs. They didn't get somebody who looked identical to him. It wasn't distracting. It was just you're not actually Steve, seeing Steve Jobs. You're just getting an idea for what his character was like. And uh, I think if that's what you understand going into this movie, that this is just a approximate uh, approximation of who he was, what his life was like, then you can come out enjoying this film and, and taking something positive away from it. If you're looking for a true biopic, though, this is not that in any way, shape, or form. It misses the mark completely. Uh, and I wish there'd be a way of distincting uh, of. of um, uh, distinguishing uh, those two things so that people weren't confused. I wish there was almost a, a title card at the beginning saying an approximation of his life, not a true telling. Because I think it can be confusing for some audiences um, who who aren't you know willing enough to look into it, and then they they have some, they come out thinking one way when they should be thinking another way. So, but overall, this movie was spectacular. I hope it wins awards. It was wonderful. And um, yeah, I loved I loved every second of it. We can talk later about uh, what you think they should be thinking about Steve Jobs. But sure. Chad, if we haven't beaten the horse completely to death, what's your overview thought of this movie? I am uh, very much like most of us here. I'm a 
a massive uh, Aaron Sorkin fan. I think The West Wing is the greatest television show ever made. I love I love Sports Night. Even even love Studio sixty on the Sunset Strip. I thought it was even that show was great. So thought it was a fantastic show. Essentially, anything that he writes, I'm predisposed to loving it. And this is no exception to that. There are moments of dialogue in this movie that are just Sorkin at his the height of his powers, and it's just a joy. It's a joy to see. That said, I can't help but take what I know about a film and the world into a movie. And so I could, I literally couldn't care less about a film trying to be accurate. And that's what documentaries are for. And we've had this discussion ad nauseum. I'm all about artistic license and the impression that, uh, and the point of view that a director wants to bring to the table. That said, in this movie, for, for some reason, I was unable to fully embrace and connect with this movie as much, uh, even as much as uh, another Sorkin movie, like The Social Network, for example, if we're just, because it's kind of an apples-to-apples comparison, where it's a biopic, but not really, but hey, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, but in that movie, I, I think, the more that I think about it, what what I came to wonder was... I'm not really sure that Sorkin, in his writing, really takes much of a position on who he thinks Steve Jobs was. It's clear that he's an agitator, and he's a a dictator, and he's kind of an a-hole to people, and then sometimes he's not. But overall, I didn't get the impression that Sorkin himself was really making much of a stand one way or the other. And that it was sort of that ambiguousness, if you will, for me, that I think stopped me from fully embracing this movie for what it was. I didn't mind the the structure. I thought that was an interesting way to do this film for sure. But ultimately, it felt like there were moments where we would have wonderful exchanges that were just benchmark moments immediately followed by two or three or four conversations that sounded beautiful but didn't really amount to much it was just almost showy but not a lot of narrative momentum and so this is a movie that i really did enjoy i really did appreciate but i didn't love it i didn't i just didn't connect with it in in a way where i thought that i would because i love apple products Uh, i'm very interested in the life of steve jobs and, you know, I was kind of teed up for this to be one of my, my favorite movies of the year. But I just there was just this wall there that just made me not connect with it as much because I just didn't feel like gained much knowledge one or the other. It was just kind of like, OK, that's interesting. So uh, so I loved it, but not as not as not as much as I had hoped that I would. Right. So what I'm hearing you say, Chad, is that you wanted Aaron Sorkin to give his opinion on Steve Jobs in the movie. I just felt like. It was intentionally right down the middle as far as, yes, everybody knows that he was abrasive and could be hard to work for. Uh, And so that's kind of there from the beginning. But in a two-hour and whatever this was, two-plus-hour film, I didn't feel like he he really put a looking glass – on Steve Jobs, even if we're just trying to get an impression of his character, not not a fact by fact recounting, I didn't feel like he was tough enough on him one way or the other. I just kind of felt like, okay, that's kind of the Cliff Notes version of what the world knows as Steve Jobs. And I and with Aaron Sorkin writing it, he usually digs a little deeper, and I think that's what was missing for me. That's interesting. Maybe we can talk about that more. I 
I don't know whether we have any spoilers to do for this movie, but just in case, let's go around the table one more time and give our final thumbs up or thumbs down, even though we may have already done that a little bit. Uh, I'll start and say, yes, you should see the movie, but in the theater, I mean, you know, it's a dialogue-driven movie, so take it or leave it. Melody? I would say if you're listening to the, this podcast, then you probably love movies and probably love Steve Jobs enough to definitely see this movie. I I don't think it's a movie that everyone needs to see. I don't think it's one of those. And I don't think it's for sure necessary in the theater. Hey, let's not make assumptions about whether or not people love Steve Jobs. Right? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> so, all right, Daniel, you're up. Yeah, obviously you should see the movie. Definitely it's a fantastic film. As far as theaters go, yeah, Josh is right. It's a dialogue-driven film, but I think it, it it benefits from theater. I don't think it's necessary, but I think you know if you if you're interested in it, I think you should definitely see this in theaters because um, it's just an experience. I mean, it's so fast-paced, so compelling, and you might lose that if you're sitting on your couch playing on your iPhone. So yeah, I think you should try to see it in theaters if you can. But y- either way, you you need to see the movie. What about if you're sitting in a theater playing on your iPhone? Then you're get out. Well, then you're a jerk. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So we should obviously see the movie from Daniel. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I think see the film. It's Aaron Sorkin. It's Danny Boyle. All-star cast. It's them doing what they do best. If you enjoy movies, you should go see this movie um, and see it in the theater. I think it is worth being able to sit down and give your full attention to for a couple of hours to amazing filmmaking and seeing it the way that the um, uh, the filmmaker intended. Because I really do think that you see some of the the artistic talent that went into this. Being able to see the details really will make a difference. So go see the movie. Go see it in theaters. Uh, it's it's great. All right, Chad. Was the fact that Aaron Sorkin is not Alex Gibney enough for you to not recommend this movie? <laughs> you got me, Josh. Curses. Uh, I think you should see this movie. I think Aaron Sorkin gets me in the door no matter what. Uh, I don't know that you should see this in the theater, I, although I don't. It, at this point, it's the second week of release and it's only made eleven million dollars, which is wah, just wah. barely more than the job. Was it called Jobs with Ashton Kutcher or whatever? So yeah. it has, hasn't made a lot of money. I'm looking at box office uh, returns right now. It's at eleven five against a budget of thirty. So uh, it seems like this is gonna. If you want to go help it out, go see it in the theater. But I definitely don't think you have to. Although it's worth it for the writing and it's worth it for the performances. And I'll echo what Chris said there. I think the standout in here is Kate Winslet. And she should be nominated for sure for an Academy Award. Well, so that $11 million is just domestic, right? I'm sure it's going to make a killing in the Foxconn factories. <laughs> Ooh. Wow, that, that was so, did there. so bad. You did there. That was so bad. All right, so do we have any spoilers for Steve Jobs? Well, I mean, I don't know that this is a spoiler as much as it is just a continuation of what Chad was saying, but I think I, to- I totally agree. I think you said it well, Chad, because I feel like, okay, as someone who doesn't know as much about Steve Jobs as you guys, like I came to this movie feeling like, all right, Aaron Sorkin, I trust you to give me like the 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 look at like Steve Jobs' heart. Like, let me know this this person. I trust Aaron Sorkin to do that, right? Because he usually just digs deeper into those characters. And I feel like even if he, even if he was taking artistic liberties or whatever, and even if it wasn't the actual Steve Jobs or whatever, like I still feel like 
I don't know, it was missing something. That, I don't know. And I, and I also feel like, okay, if it's not supposed to be a biopic, if it's supposed to be more artistic, then why are you going to separate each of the of the events with all of the real world footage of the actual Steve Jobs and the actual interviews and the actual bots and whatever? Like Steve Jobs wasn't in this movie. What? what are oh, we sorry. Talking about? sorry. Yeah. Bill Gates. Bill Gates was on the interview, but it, oh. all the interviews about Steve Jobs, right? That were real world. Like when you see stuff like that, it makes you feel like this is supposed to be real. Like this is supposed to be more of the biopic. And I like, agree with you. I don't fault yeah. for not doing the research to know that it wasn't that. I'm just saying. I, I just felt like it was a little bit confusing to me. Yeah, I totally I, agree. That's yeah. why I say artistic license. Sorry, go well, ahead. But see, normally Aaron Sorkin, in all of his work historically, he works on a level that isn't necessarily related to the facts, but more related to whatever the emotional dynamic is. And so for me, that was, I think, what was missing here. He got He kind of started to do that, but didn't drill down as deep as he normally would. Um, right. So... so- that's really interesting. I'm wondering what exactly what exactly you would have wanted to see. I mean, there was the whole he used an an algorithm to say that he wasn't the father of a child. He was obviously the father of and then at the end his big wrap up was he kept this painting that she did the whole time and they reconciled. And so I'm wondering did what in like there that? was missing is no, I didn't like the reconciliation. Yeah, I but hated the, even yeah. though it, it That was all baloney. None of that no, happened. So the way it happened was baloney, but the fact that they were reconciled wasn't baloney. Right, but um, you but you come across the feeling like it all happened in that space and in that time, though. And, you know, the, the truth of the matter was is that Steve Jobs and his daughter, Lisa, um, lived together uh, for many, 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 many years. And those conversations that you're having... With his second wife and other family... <laughs> Sure. Who yeah. weren't even in this movie. Exactly. They didn't even give any lip, like they made him feel like a cold um single man that was just, you know, they they never gave him the the warmness that he created after and and I feel like it, they had an opportunity to do that and they had an opportunity to show that he was tremendously hurt and distraught and destroyed by being voted off of the Apple board. Um, and at that point he grew a lot, he, he changed a lot. And I feel like in the movie, you feel like he just did it all for revenge, uh, to get back into Apple. And that's just kind of crazy. That's, that's not, I mean, he, he's not some, you know, maniacal villain that was able to think if I create a new company and I make something that Apple needs and they'll buy me, I mean, come on, that's not, that's not the way that, that it actually works, you know? And so you just walk away feeling like that, that he was, that was who he was. When he wasn't. Yeah, but I'm not coming at it from the standpoint of, of defending the man and wanting it to be more positive. I just wanted it to be more anything other than ambiguous. And I just felt that it – it's like I said at the beginning. I don't think that Sorkin gave us any new information, even from an artistic impression standpoint, that's not like very surface level. Okay, he's not a good guy. He's kind of mean. and then But he also made amazing technology. The no, but end. there are some. There's, there there are some hold, there, wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah, it's yeah. super heavy-handed when it tries to get to stuff like this whole control the process from end to end where he has – that's repeated multiple times throughout. It, it hammers those kinds of messages home. But about Steve Jobs as an individual – I just didn't feel like it ever got it got deeper than the surface. So you're you're asking for more depth and more digging in. I mean, 
the the key takeaway as far as and obviously some of its artistic license like Chris is saying but I, I feel like the key point Aaron Sorkin made uh, and threaded throughout the movie especially with his conversations with Jeff Bridges was that his end-to-end control was built was upon his adoption insecurity and I feel like I don't know how true that was psychologically but I don't know what more you could have wanted as far as digging how deep do you want to dig Jeff Daniels, by the way, not, not yeah. Sorry, Jeff Daniels. What What do you mean? I, just Just being accurate um, is important. I feel like. I mean, I, I feel like you should almost. This is a This is a work of fiction, and so it should be called like Steve Bob's. Uh, yeah, Bob's or something. And and you, <laughs> you you feel the analogy there, and you're like, oh yeah, this is supposed to be Steve Steve Jobs. I get it. Just because it just it, it there there just isn't. It isn't an accurate portrayal of what really happened. The ideas are there, the 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 plot points exist, but they're mashed up and used in a place that makes more sense for the movie's narrative, not for what actually happened in real life to a real person. Does that make sense? I'm arguing on two different fronts right now. We're we're talking at cross purposes, like you sure. and I are having a discussion, and Chad and I are having a discussion. Okay, well, then you and, and Chad, Chad have wants it to be deeper. And you want it to be kinder to him. No, 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 no. I, just, I, I want it to be accurate. That's what I want it to be. Well, yes. But do uh, you? That, because I thought you guys went all on about how it doesn't have to be accurate and all that. Well, maybe Chad, you didn't Chad say was that. the one who said I he didn't want it to be accurate. I don't care Chris about said that. Chris yeah. said they he wanted them to bring out the warm side of Steve Jobs and no. how he grew as a as a result of being no. voted off the board. No, no, no. I I, I just want them to sh- I want them to give that a uh, if they're going to show one half of that relationship, they should also show the other side of that coin. That's all I'm saying. A fair analysis of his family life, rather than using his daughter Lisa as a th- as a thread, a thorough thread. To, to to prove how Steve Jobs grew at these specific points in time, which is just not accurate. That's not the way that uh, real humans live life. It's just it's just a conceit that works well for the story that they wanted to tell in the film. That's all I'm saying. Well, so at the end, he does come around and grow and become this, I, I'm not going to say warm, but the whole reconciliation thing is made up, but it's doing those things that you want them to do with a more complicated story that would have taken much longer to tell. You know what I'm saying? I do. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. That's why I think the movie's really good, is that they, they, they hit those plot points, they tell the, the story, they give you the overall feeling, but there's no disclaimer that that's what's happening. You just, assume, you just assume that, that's why I said there should be a title card at the beginning saying, disclaimer, this is a work of fiction and is only going to give you a feeling for who Steve Jobs was, for an accurate look, please read these books. You know like, what I mean? But again, I'm, I'm not quite sure why that matters. Like if, it, He's if a real worried, person, Daniel. That's why it matters. Yeah, I understand that. But if you're concerned about uh, what people will think of Steve Jobs or something like that, you just said you know, that we did get to that warm side at the end. So what do the facts of what actually happened matter? If, if the, the personality of the character of Steve Jobs is intact... It's uh, not. It's not intact. That 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 can't accurately be true because I, I'm, I'm going to say it absolutely can, Chris. Because you can't. You have to judge the movie for what the movie is, not for what you know outside of the movie. Very much like what Melody was saying is she had limited yeah. knowledge going in, and so no. what she took away is what she took away. You're like, but that's not what really happened. But that doesn't matter. 
doesn't well, matter what really Of course happened. it does. Of course, of course it, this it is real, does not. This is well, a real person, Chad. You that's can't wonderful. say it, it still matter. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Sure it does. And sure furthermore, it does. This movie doesn't owe him anything. Not a thing. Well, furthermore, it doesn't owe him anything. Those those thing. people, everybody except Steve Jobs, every single one of those people except Steve Jobs is still alive, Chad. And they're putting words in these people's mouths saying that they'd said these things at these times. And Lisa is still yeah. alive. Again, that's, doesn't let's matter. Let's talk about that. Sure let's talk about does. that. Steve Wozniak and many of the other people uh, involved in the film have seen it. To be perfectly honest, there's a, just a split down the middle. Half of the people uh, are totally cool with the film and think it perfectly captured Steve who Jobs. Is, who is half the people? Steve Wozniak, Steve Wozniak was a paid consultant. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much for saying that. Was going to be my next point is that he he got paid to put his he name. He got on. paid two hundred thousand bucks. I don't think he needed the money, Chris. Come on. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I'm, really. all, all I'm saying is is that even he has said none of it is accurate. Which is yeah, why it no, doesn't matter. But, but he said none of, <laughs> no, none it of does. it's accurate. He said none of it's accurate, but the, the feeling of Steve Jobs, exactly what I've been saying this whole time, the feeling of Steve Jobs is completely accurate. He said it's exactly how he acted, exactly how he felt. or, or uh, Yeah, exactly how he acted. So uh, everybody on the Apple board, everyone who's currently, who, who worked with Steve most intimately, everyone who has seen any glimmer of this movie says that is not even remotely the Steve Jobs I knew. Even the, even the folks that they showed in uh, the, uh, the, the reporters who are portrayed in this film, who are very well-known reporters, even say, that's not the Steve Jobs I knew. I, I don't even know who that guy is. And again, yeah. what does that matter? Okay, so this is my point. Is the, as a movie, I like this movie a lot. It's wonderful, but it's a work of fiction. And if you if you sit down, I sit down with somebody and they say, oh, yeah, I know all about Steve Jobs. I saw that movie. You know, he was a real jerk because of this. This is and I say, no, what are you talking about? That is not that's not who Steve Jobs was. If this is your only if this is your only um, window into the life of Steve Jobs, where this purports to be, you are getting a distorted fiction of what his life was. And it does not matter. Of course that if matters. I, it's so, the story that they wanted to write and the story that they wanted to tell. They don't owe anybody anything. They don't have they to do. have balance. They don't have to do anything. If I want to sit down and write a story, I'll write a story. And I'll tell it from my point of view the way I want to tell it. And I don't have to you don't you don't have to like it. But I don't owe you anything. Aaron Sorkin doesn't uh, owe the public any kind of balance. He's not a news reporter. He is I'm, making a, he's making an artistic impression of what he want of a story he wants to tell. And he's obviously anyone owe the legacy of, of course, Steve Jobs more. It was Alex Gibney. Of course, all I'm saying is, of course you can, Chad. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying that it's unfortunate that this is going to be somebody's only view of Steve Jobs, and if they think this is accurate they're incorrect and there's no disclaimer there's no notice there's no real you would come you come out of that movie trusting that the filmmakers had given you an accurate depiction of steve jobs life and that is not on the screen yes or no but again irrelevant yes or no yeah of course it's relevant because the, the name of the movie is steve jobs so have you gotten an accurate view or an accurate portrayal of the life and times of steve jobs no no, but that wasn't their intent, so I don't care. Where does it say that? This movie says Steve Jobs. It is. I don't even know what you're arguing for, Chris. It's blowing my mind. I mean, so do we need to like put up a disclaimer? Uh, hey, guys, every word in this might not be exactly accurate with what was said in the real world. It's not even none a movie of this at that is accurate. Point. 
No, no, I'm just saying none of this is accurate. None of these. None That's of these. That's a broad statement that I would also. Yeah, reject. I don't know how you can say that if you don't know Steve Jobs either. Like, I don't, if if some people think because, this is how it is and some people don't, I mean, then what? Then we just can't make any movie ever because some people would disagree with it. I can't That's, believe we're blows arguing over accuracy. Who cares yeah. about accuracy? It's not. It's what not what the story they were trying to tell. They were trying yeah. to create an impression of the man. Absolutely. And and so all we can judge is the impression because they're not they're not attempting to to, to talk, say this is exactly what happened in his life just give an impression of him and with a person as divisive as Steve Jobs some people are going to like that impression some people aren't and you're never going to have a cohesive uh, everybody's going to love yes that's one hundred percent accurate it's just impossible well I I totally disagree on that one but we, you know we can we can move on go worship at his idol Chris. About this It'll be okay. quite a bit all right so as moderator. We have gone back and forth about this quite a bit, and I think it's time to stop beating the dead horse. <laughs> and our Whoa. last word will be, Chris, which models of the iPhone have you owned? <laughs> Every question. single one. <laughs> All right. The end. You're listening to the Screeners Podcast. Next up in our double feature is Beasts of No Nation. What is this thing doing here? What are you doing here? Who is responsible for this thing? Now, what are they calling you? Agu! I'm a good follower, sir. I will always protect you because you are my son. And a son always protects a father. My man, you remember me? We are my family. Are you ready to fight? Only taking the brave. Yes, sir! Victory? Yes, sir! Victory! Yes, sir! Seize Yes, sir! A drama based on the experiences of Agu, a child soldier fighting in the civil war of an unnamed African country. Beasts of No Nation was written and directed by Kerry Fukunaga, and it stars newcomer Abraham Ada and Idris Elba. So before we get into the review of the film, we need a little bit of backstory. Uh, the film is noteworthy because it's Netflix's first original narrative film. They've had other originals, uh, but this is the first original narrative and first real narrative Oscar contender as well. And uh, the film actually caused a boycott from all of the major theater chains, including AMC, Regal, and all those, because it broke the traditional 90-day release window uh, because it premiered on uh, Netflix the same day as in theaters. So it was actually re released into 31 landmark theaters, but obviously that's a very small amount. And uh, even in that small market, it made almost no money at all, obviously, because the majority of the audiences watched it at home on Netflix. Uh, surprisingly, Netflix actually did release their numbers for, for the viewership, and they said that it was in the first two weeks of release, it was watched about three million times. Uh, so, depending on the success here, we could see a significant shift in the way films are released. Uh, it's possible uh, with more things going uh, either to Netflix or Amazon or, or even just VOD. So, Beasts of No Nation will obviously uh, be referenced a lot in that shift. 
But all that buildup doesn't actually have anything to do with the quality of the film. So on that note, let's shift into our reviews, and we'll just have a general discussion of the film without any spoilers. So let's start with Chad. Chad, what did you think of Beasts of No Nation? I'm a fan of uh, Fukunaga for sure. His work on True Detective was was marvelous. So I was very interested in this director taking on this, this subject matter. But this is one of those movies that I, I liken to a film like 12 Years a Slave, uh, something like that where you're never going to be in the right headspace to want to see a movie like this. But depending on what the what the film is, it's, it's an important story that needs to be told. And this, one thing that I can say about this movie is that it is, in some cases, it is almost unbearable to watch. Some scenes are extremely difficult to watch. That said, it is remarkably gorgeous. The cinematography in this movie if it's not nominated for an Academy Award, I don't, I don't know what is wrong with the Academy Awards. It is breathtakingly beautiful. And not just because it's in a beautiful country, but the composition, the camera moves, color grade, everything about it is, is just beautiful. The performances are universally believable. At no time did I think I was watching actors. Uh, Idris Elba, I think he'll also be nominated for an Academy Award. But it's a hard watch. I mean, it's a very difficult film to watch. Uh, the story is one that is, uh, I think, unfortunately, probably very common. And so I, I don't really know how to review this movie other than to say that it feels like it's that it was done by people that feel like this subject matter is, is very important. But it just makes you depressed. It makes you sad, not just because of what happened to this little kid, but what it represents with uh, the countries and the way that political actions work themselves out between countries and the the collateral damage that's often left in the wake and it's um it's just a it's just a gorgeous haunting horrible film but uh, one that is is done with a, a lot of love and care good but depressing review from Chad Josh what did you think of be some no nation well i mean i i think i could pretty much just echo chad word for word just about it's you look at the subject matter and, and you know this is going to be a very difficult movie to watch. And it is, even though like some of the worst, some of the scenes that could have been the worst were just shown briefly or just shown, you, you know what's happening off camera. And even if they don't show the worst parts, you know what happened and it's awful. So just... The one thing that I have to add to Chad's discussion, and it's depressing in a different way, is that I don't, I completely agree that these stories are important and these stories should be told. And I don't doubt Kerry Fukunaga's commitment to telling the story. And he got what? He got malaria while making the movie? It's crazy the things he and his crew went through just to make this movie in Africa because they were intent on doing it in Africa with local people. Um, but part of me, as far as the funding for the movie goes, I can't shake the idea that Netflix took their, took their giant recommendation engine machine and all their algorithms and said, what is going to get us the most play at the Oscars this year? Like they crunched the data and this is how they made house of cards too. You know, they crunched the data and what, what do viewers want to see right now? This movie's adapted from a novel by an African author it's a heartbreaking story with a child at the center of it. It's got human rights issues. And it's a little difficult to me not to say that this movie has Oscar bait written all over it. Um, 
that's not to say, again, that's not to say it's not a good movie and you shouldn't watch it because you should. It's a very good movie and it's very well made. And the same goes with House of Cards. They might have done it um, because they knew it's what people wanted to see, but it was done very, is done very, very well. And this is too. The other thing I will add is I haven't seen a lot of infrared lenses or filters in movies um, recently. And this movie used some and it was, it was a little jarring, but beautiful. And I liked it. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. It was. So yes, thumbs up. It's a, it's definitely, I think an important movie. I mean, it's just so, um, it accomplished its purpose for me. You know, obviously I was aware of child soldiers, but really because the film felt so real felt so believable it did not feel acted it didn't feel um like a movie it made it really challenging for me um i i really i found myself thinking throughout the film you know i was just sitting there on my couch and i was like right now this is happening you know things like this are happening uh, around the world and so it, it it was just really challenging for me and so i really enjoyed it oh i mean enjoy is is a tough word cuz it is a difficult film but but you know it served its purpose you know like chad said the acting is just incredible um i think uh, the kid at the star of this abraham ada i mean he was so he was the role i mean just yeah. through and through there was nothing acted about his performance and and um i just elba did an amazing job as well but but that the, the kid just really agu he really just um, just sealed the deal for this whole film, um, and then the juxtaposition between like you guys were saying the the beautiful imagery uh, which was actually shot by Fukunaga himself he he wrote directed and shot the film, and um, it was just it was it was beautiful uh, juxtaposed against this horrible violence and these horrible things that were going on it was just um, man it was just really affecting for me. So yeah, yeah, overall, I mean, it's just a fantastic movie, and there's just not, not much more you can say. I think it's not a movie for everybody, uh, but you know, it's exactly like you said, Chad. Tw- like just like Twelve Years a Slave, or even like Schindler's List. It's not one I'm going to go rewatch every year or something like that. But I'm very glad that I have watched it. So yeah, I think uh, one of the things that it does very well in movies like this, it's difficult to do, is to have these terrible scenes but not make them emotionally exploitative or, uh, you know what I'm saying? So that it's, I, I mean, it needed to be in there and you needed to see it. But at the same time, I didn't feel like it was manipulative. I didn't feel like I was being, uh, like Josh. And I think that's a fair point that Josh brings up that this is a quote unquote Oscar bait kind of film. It certainly is. But I, but I think the actual film itself never made me feel that way. I've, I've seen yeah. some Oscar movies where I was like, this scene is just so that they can get a nomination or this movie is hitting all of the, the beats that it needs to, in order to get recognition. This felt like a true story and a gripping act of uh, empathy, if you will, where it was just kind of the truth of the story. And that's very yeah. difficult to do. Yeah. And, and I should clarify that my, uh, my cynicism is only directed at, um, Netflix's deliberations on the corporate side, what should our first feature-length film be? I think Fukunaga did a fantastic job of not, of not just making this as heart-wrenching as he could have, but right. letting the story speak for itself. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, the, I thought the relationship between the two boys was, was beautifully rendered as well. It was very... Yeah. yeah. And I, don't, I don't know if these guys are, 
are non-actors or if this is their first i mean they're obviously not non-actors but if this is some of their first work but it's it's really remarkable what they did and and elba uh idris elba's his performance is great i mean really really excellent so definitely and and to uh to the points about netflix's oscar bait well it's worth saying that their next film coming out is the ridiculous six from adam sandler and they actually have a like something like a four picture four picture deal with adam sandler so Sort of, if you can, if there's that's an opposite different. term, there's an opposite term to Oscar bait, that's what that is. Razzie bait, Razzie bait, that's actually what it Razzie is. Bait. Razzie there bait, there you go, that's <laughs> it. So, covering all their bases, I guess. That's it. All right, so Chad, I think we already know, but uh, should we see this film? Yeah, I, I think you see this film. This is obviously a film for adults, and it's not a movie that you should approach lightly, but it's also not a movie that you should avoid just because you don't want to be uncomfortable. I think it's a... A story that needs to be told and is told immaculately well. Yeah. Josh, same question. Yes, I think Chris and Melody should see it, and I think everyone else <laughs> should too. I absolutely agree. Yeah, it's definitely worth seeing. I sort of wish I had seen it in theaters, but um, you know, no one else did, so I'm not alone. You're listening to the Screeners Podcast. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our show for this time. Thank you guys so much for all the feedback that we've been getting on Facebook. It makes it uh, a lot more fun for us when we get comments from you guys. So definitely head to Facebook, Screeners Podcast, and um, you can just keep joining in the conversation. Keep sending us your comments and your ideas, and we will do our best to incorporate as many on the show as we can. And we will talk to you guys again soon. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time.